Good morning. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9-13. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you, as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. All right, well, good morning again, Sound City. Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, was out for the last couple of Sundays. My wife and I had the opportunity to go um, travel to Hilton Head, South Carolina, where there was a gathering. Our, our church is part of a network of churches called the Harbor Network. And all of the lead pastors and wives gathered together in beautiful Hilton Head, South Carolina for a time of spiritual refreshing and sunshine and friendship, and it was a real delightful time. And uh, during that delightful time, three things happened. Number one, I tried to feed a gator, but I was stopped by important people in my life. Uh, it was a big alligator, and he looked hungry, and I wanted to make a friend. I am convinced that in the new heavens and the new earth, I will be able to just ride on an alligator or T-Rex or something, I don't know. Um, but also during that time away, uh, my wonderful and amazingly uh, just wise, beautiful wife, who was just up here a moment ago, leveled up. She had a birthday. There's a new decade. She's 40. And uh, so, yeah, that's good. And yeah, welcome. Welcome. I've been here for nine months, so it's not too bad. Uh, and then also uh, we celebrated our anniversary, our 22nd anniversary while we were on this trip, too. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, wait a minute. 40 minus 22, and you're doing the math, don't do the math. Don't, don't ask. I don't recommend it. The Lord's been gracious to us. Here we are, and uh, still kicking. And yes, uh, one other really quick introductory note. Uh, next week, like we're kind of at the finishing like the first half of 1 Thessalonians, and next week, Paul and Silas and company in these letters are going to turn to more practical instructions, and it starts with some teaching about sexuality. And so I will be teaching on that next week, and I always just like to give a heads up to parents so that you can know what kind of lunchtime you're going to have with your kids and family next week if they're in the service with you. And as always, I'm not ever going to be gratuitous or graphic or anything like that, but we're going to just discuss, frankly, what the Bible teaches about uh, sexuality, and so I just want to give you a heads up for that next week. But in the meantime, today, we are going to tackle the, the ending of the first half, essentially, of 1 Thessalonians with a prayer and with a benediction and a teaching that I've just simply entitled, How Can I Pray for You? And so I would like to, though we've prayed many times, we're going to just pray again. And guess what? We're not done praying. We're going to pray some more here in a little bit. So uh, if you don't like prayer, tough. Here we go. Lord, we are grateful that you allow us to just come into your presence through what Jesus has done for us, the opening of the curtain, the opening of the the veil into the holy of holy places. And Lord, so grateful that, uh, as we read earlier in, in our assurance, that even when we don't know exactly what to pray or even how to pray, Holy Spirit, you are there to translate for us the groans that are in our souls 
in a way that our Father receives. And so, Lord, I pray for myself that you'd help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. And I pray that every single one of us would, would sense your presence and be drawn closer to you through this time that we have together. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, because we're kind of wrapping up this section, I just want to do a really brief recap where we've been so far in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We started out in Acts chapter 17, and we saw that the Thessalonian church is a church that is grounded in the gospel. Churches can do lots of good things. There's good deeds that we can do. We love community groups. The church can do potlucks. You can uh, feed the, you know, feed people who are in need and you know, take care of the homeless and send, you know, missionaries overseas. But at the end of the day, if those things aren't grounded in the gospel, the message of the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus, then it's it's less than a church. And so this church is a really good example for us to follow of being grounded in the gospel. We saw that Paul and Silas want this church to be filled with gratitude, always giving thanks to God for the many blessings we have, the the blessing of salvation, but then all of the other blessings beside. We saw that this church, Pastor Steve taught about this church, is the kind of church that imitates godly people. You find people in your life and you learn how to be Christ-like by following Christ's example in them and by modeling for others Christ-likeness that they can follow. We've seen so far that this church is the kind of church that seeks God's approval, not man's. We're not people pleasers. This church is not trying to please people because they already know that we have God's good pleasure because of what Jesus has done for us. A couple weeks ago, I listened to it on the podcast, but Jason preached about this message. This church is confident about this gospel message. This isn't just some random human message. This isn't just some, you know, you know, interesting sort of idea. This is a divine message. They're confident in that message. And then last week, Myung preached that this church has friendship with God and with others, and we can be delighted by the friendship that we have. And by the way, I'm so grateful for all of our other pastors who do such a great job preaching and teaching. And I'm grateful for the role that I've had. I'm super thankful for all of them. And obviously, like Jason's a seasoned veteran. Myung's done a phenomenal job, newer to the role as well. I'm super grateful for all of these guys. And the last thing that we're looking at here as we wrap up this section is this Thessalonian church is a church that prays. They're a praying church. And Paul and Silas and Timothy model this in these verses. Go back to verse 9 and look at what they said. Verse 9. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day? Now, I want to start off with the bad news right away because when I look at a verse like that, and you hear, you know, you hear Paul or you hear Silas, and they're like, we're just thanking God for you, and our hearts are so full of joy, and we're praying earnestly night and day. We're just, we're up late in the night, we wake up early in the morning, we pray during the day. Does anyone else get a little bit of a feeling of discouragement? Like, man, my prayer life doesn't sound as awesome as that. Anybody? Nope, you're all killing it? Cool. Let's wrap up and go home then. So, no, I, I look at a verse like that, and I think, man, I, I, I don't always have that joy. There are times... Okay, just real talk here. There are times where my prayer life is like, well, it's this duty. It's this thing I must do. I have to set aside time. And you could certainly do a lot worse than that. And actually, sometimes I do a lot worse than that. Sometimes, honestly, my prayer can feel like, oh, it's like this drudgery. Like, I have to go through with it. I'm just being real. Is anybody there with me sometimes? Like, man, my prayer life is just not filled with this kind of earnestness and joy and thanksgiving. And, And friends, what I believe is that In these verses, Paul and company 
are inviting us to know that prayer can be a delight. And that's the big idea. Prayer is not a drudgery. And prayer is more than just a duty. Prayer is a delight. And I know that you might object. Like, well, I can't. I've tried. I can't get there yet. My aim today is simply to help us take some steps in that direction. To take some steps in the direction of delight. That when we come before God in prayer, we can have a little taste of that joy and that delight and that earnestness that Paul and Silas and company had. Okay? So that's my aim for you. That's honestly my aim for myself as I preach this message. I want to grow in delight in prayer. Now, Quick little side note. Whenever I preach on the subject of prayer, I go and revisit. I've revisited this little short booklet a number of times. It is called A Call to Prayer. It's by a preacher named J.C. Ryle. Charles Spurgeon is my favorite. J.C. Ryle is my second favorite. I don't yet have a J.C. Ryle bobblehead. I do have a Charles Spurgeon bobblehead, and it's a delight to me also. But this little short book, you can actually find it for free online. Um, J.C. Ryle was an Anglican pastor in the 1800s. He died, I think, right in 1900. And he was a man of deep passion for the Lord, a man who um, spoke with great fervor and great passion about the things of the Lord. And this is from his introduction on the subject of prayer. He says this. He says, faith is to the soul what life is to the body, and prayer is to faith what breath is to the body. How a person can live and not breathe is past my comprehension. And how a person can believe and not pray is past my comprehension. So we're going to lean on J.C. Ryle as we look at this delight that we can have in prayer. And so in order to get to this place of joy and delight, I want to talk about the basis of our prayers like the foundation, the basis. Number two, I want to talk about the basics of our prayer, like some how-tos, things that will help us know how to. And then lastly, I want to land the plane on the blessing of prayer. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the basis, the basics, and the blessing. Let's talk about the basis. Go back to verse 11. It says, now, this is the, this is the benediction. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, Skipping ahead to verse 13, he says, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, amen. Now you remember, I just said a minute ago that when this church was founded, they were founded on this message of the gospel. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And when Paul references the coming of our Lord Jesus, that is triggering all of those different ideas because the coming of our Lord Jesus is the final chapter in the story. The story ends, the the history ends when the trumpet sounds and the sky cracks open and the Lord Jesus returns to earth to restore all things as they should be. When Paul and Silas and company reference the coming of the Lord Jesus, they are referencing the message of the gospel, and that message of the gospel is the basis, is the foundation for the life of prayer. Think about the storyline of the gospel through the lens of communication and prayer, talking with God. Think about where the story begins. 
The story begins in a garden, and the, 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 the story tells us that the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, have close proximity to God in the garden. That verse in Genesis 3 about in the cool part of the day, the Lord would come to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. Now, I will confess to you, I do not know what that looked like. I don't know how that happened, but we are meant to imagine something that is beautiful, something that is delightful, close relationship with the one who is love himself, the holiness of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God being fully enjoyed in that close proximity. How many of you wish you could have a glimpse of that? But we also know that because of sin, there has been a separation That after Adam and Eve didn't listen to the communication of God and listened instead to the communication of the serpent and the liar, sin entered into their hearts, sin entered into the world, and there was a, there was a separation. They were actually mercifully removed from the garden because a fallen sinful creature cannot be in the presence of a holy God and live. And now, every single one of us who have been born into this fallen, broken world, we experience a separation from God. We don't enjoy that close proximity that they once did. But see, God was not done. God's a communicative God, and he's always speaking. And all throughout the pages of the scripture, all throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, we see God's prophetic word. Him saying that despite your sin and despite your violation of the covenant, I have not given up on you. I will send a rescuer. I will send a redeemer. This brokenness is not the end of the story. And when the exact right time had come, The Apostle John tells us that the very word of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, entered into human history, and now we see God's incarnate word. I like the way that the author of Hebrews says, he goes, the author of Hebrews says, hey, a long time ago, God spoke to us in lots of different ways through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us directly through his son, And Jesus lived a perfect life in communion, in relationship with the Father. The scripture tells us that Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That he spent time in prayer, that he walked perfectly in the will of God. None of us have walked perfectly in the will of God. But Jesus did. Jesus did. He lived in perfect relationship and in perfect communion with God. And that means that when he went to the cross and he cried out a prayer for us, do you know what that prayer was? Father, forgive them. And now, because of his perfect life, that prayer has been answered. And you and I have uh, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. Amen? And what's more, he rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. We sang it a little while ago. Christ is risen. The stone has been rolled away. Jesus walked away from the grave. And so we can have confidence knowing not only that our sins have been forgiven, but that he has invited us back into a right relationship with God. We have a welcome invitation now to enter boldly into God's presence because of what Jesus did. How good is that news, friends? If, let me say it very bluntly, if it were not for what Jesus has done, we have no right to pray and talk to God. 
I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I remember being on an airplane a few years ago, and um, I was traveling by myself. I don't think Aaron Lynn or any of the kids were with me, and you know how it happens sometimes. You strike up conversation on the airplane, and the guy goes, you know, oh, what do you do for work? And I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor, which, man, it's always so, it's, it's like, it's a fork in the road. This is going to go one of two ways. They're about to unburden their entire soul on me for the next four hours of this flight, or they're going to say, huh, weird, and watch Iron Man. Like, it's one of two things. There's nothing in between. So anyways, this guy took a little bit closer to path number one, and he just starts talking to me about things. And he said to me, he said, oh, well, you know, it's, it's cool. Me and God are cool. I, I, me and God, I worked out an arrangement. We worked out an arrangement with God. And I remember going, oh, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of, well, if that arrangement isn't access to God through Jesus' death and resurrection, then your arrangement is not a good one. And then it got real awkward. And then he watched Iron Man. So uh, <clears throat> if, if it's not for Jesus, what gives you the right to draw near to God? In your brokenness and your sinfulness, you have no basis to talk to God. He has no uh, need to listen to you. But if you have been united with Christ through repentance and through faith in what Jesus did, well, then the prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, has been answered. Jesus' prayer has been answered for you. And right now, Jesus is still praying for you, making intercession every moment of every day at the right hand of the Father. Your sins are forgiven. You have a welcome invitation to draw near to God. This is the good news of the gospel, and this is the basis of our prayers. Amen? Amen. Now, with that important foundation in place, let's talk about the basics of our prayer. Let's go back to this passage. I'm going to reread the whole passage again because it's kind of short but I want you to look for some things in here, okay? They say, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. By the way, what is lacking in your faith, um, it's not some sort of like insult or put down. It doesn't mean that their faith is defective. It simply means that their faith is not fully grown. How many of you have room to grow in your faith journey? And if you're not raising your hand, you're either not paying attention or you're perfected in faith. Good job. Okay, now, may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we have all this love overflowing for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. I think that there are seven elements of prayer in these verses that I think will be helpful for you. Because sometimes, maybe you can raise your hand if you've ever felt this way. You sit down to pray, and you're like, I don't even know like, what to pray or how to pray. Has anyone ever felt that way? Okay, well, these, these will be helpful for you, okay? The first thing that I see in this prayer is that it is Trinitarian. It is Trinitarian. God our Father, Lord Jesus, God our Father, Lord Jesus. Now, admittedly, Holy Spirit is not mentioned explicitly in this small chunk of verses, but Holy Spirit has been mentioned back in chapter 1 a couple of times. The Holy Spirit will be mentioned again in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. As Christians, we rightly focus on the person and the work of Jesus because he's the unique one, both fully God and both fully man, the unique one that accomplished salvation on the cross for us. But I would like to ask for an amen on this. We are Trinitarians, amen? 
We believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three co-eternal, all three consubstantial, all three fully God, and yet not um, uh, divided into three gods. One God, the mystery of the Trinity, three in one. And sometimes people have asked me over the years, when I pray, who should I pray to? Should I pray to the Father? Should I pray to Jesus, the Son? Should I pray to the Holy Spirit? On the one hand, there are examples in the scripture that you can point to that I think would give room to say, yes, you, you can address any one of the three persons of the Godhead in your prayer. That's totally okay. On the other hand, the most common thing that we see, particularly in Jesus and in the apostles in the New Testament, is you pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. You're like, Aaron, that's a lot of prepositions. Can you repeat that? Yes. To the Father, through the Son, the access that he has given to us, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has made this way for me. And thank you that you have given me your Holy Spirit to help me because honestly, God, I don't even know what to pray right now. I'm just gonna moan for a while and trust that the Holy Spirit will help and intercede, okay? So Trinitarian prayer. Another element that I see in here is the element of thankfulness. Now, here's, here's a helpful prayer basic when we often get into prayer time, sometimes, you know, we've got our list. I need to pray for things in my life, my daily bread. I need to pray for other people. Praying for other people is great. Praying for things in your life is great. Don't forget to start with thanksgiving. Spend some time just thanking God. Uh, first and foremost, for salvation, the gift of Jesus. But where'd you get that breath in your lungs right now? Check your pulse. Where'd you get that blood in your veins? You drive here in a car? Where, did you, do you have, are you going to go get some lunch afterwards? You got food? Do you have people in your life? I mean, think about all the times. How can we thank God for you, the people in your life? Practice thanksgiving in your prayer. We mean it sometimes at the end of the service when they have the prayer team up here. It's like, hey, don't just come forward to pray with somebody if it's like, oh, I just, I just lost my job. Like, for sure do that too. But just, what if it was like, hey, I just got a promotion. I just wanted to pray with someone and thank God for that, Right? Thanksgiving. Number three, I commend to you the earnestness in this prayer. The earnestness as we earnestly pray. That's one of the reasons why I love J.C. Ryle so much. He was, he was pastoring during a time when the Anglican church was really kind of shifting to try to go back towards Roman Catholicism. It was called the movement towards ritualism. They wanted a lot more ritual and a lot more, and that really, like, J.C. riled this guy up, and he was all like, no, sorry, it's a bad joke, but he was, like, he was like, no, no, we need to have our hearts engaged, and that's why he writes, you know, things like this, like, no, not just dead ritual, but, like, passionate hearts for God. And by the way, I'll say this, over the years, one of the things just in my own leadership, my preaching style, or leading music, or even just honestly having a conversation, people are like, Aaron, I love your passion. You have such an exuberance. And um, it's partially coffee, but it's just partially the way that the Lord wired me. And I'll say this to you. You don't have to have a similar personality type to me or someone who's more demonstrative to be genuine and sincere and earnest. The Lord knows your heart. People can be like, people like me with my personality can be bouncy and effervescent and be faking it 
And you might be a quieter person. You're sitting there, and you have one little tear that rolls down your cheek. It's like, whoa, the Lord is really moving on them, right? Like, when you hear earnest, don't think a specific personality type. Think sincerity of heart before the Lord. I really mean what I'm saying. I really care about what I'm praying for. I really care for the people I'm praying for. Okay, you with me on that? Earnestness. Read some J.C. Ryle and get stirred up in your spirit. Number four, notice how their prayer is relational, specifically relational. We want to see you face to face. We pray that the Lord will direct our way to. We want to be with you. We pray that you would just be overflowing with love for one another. Who are the people in your life that you're thankful for? As I was prepping things this week for this teaching, I just started, I just made a determination that any time that someone texted me or emailed me, I would just stop and pray a prayer of blessing over them. 15, 20 seconds. Anytime I thought of someone, oh, I need to contact this person. Oh, I need to reach out for something. Anytime I uh, saw somebody, particularly from the church, but otherwise as well, I just took little 15, 20 seconds all throughout my day, and I prayed. So if you're one of the people that texted me this week, congratulations. God loves you, and I prayed for you. So, and if you didn't, well, there's always next week. So think about little things like that that you can do that will help you remember these amazing people that God has put in your life. Whether it's a tool like I just said I used or some other thing that the Lord uses in your life to help you, pray for the people And what's more, not just pray for the people, thanking God for them, pray, the next element, which is is for their sanctification. The sanctification, to be hearts that are blameless in holiness. Now, this is where the aspect of like repentance comes in. How many of you still in your life stumble from time to time? How many of you have ongoing and remaining sin that the Lord is working out? So Lord, I pray that you would sanctify me. Make me more holy. Make me more like Jesus. Lord, I pray for my brothers. I pray for my sisters. I pray for my pastors. I pray for the leaders in my community group. Lord, would you make them blameless in holiness? Would you help them to repent of sin and to grow in godliness? Pray sanctifying prayers for yourself and for others. Number six, Their prayer here is evangelistic. They said, we want to have love for one another. And then there's this little phrase in verse uh, uh, 12, and for everyone. Do you know who everyone is? Everyone. I looked it up in the Greek. It's every, all, it's all, it's all of them, which means people who are not yet part of the family of God, praying for their salvation praying that God would do that work that only he could do, that he would flip that light switch and they would go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Should you share the gospel with them? This is not a trick question. Should you share the gospel with them? Yes. Should you serve them in love? Yes. But at the end of the day, if you were the most eloquent communicator and the most persuasive winsome, like you were like, you were like, like Tim Keller on steroids, okay? You can't convert a person. Only God can do that work. So you know what's more effective? Prayer. And persisting in prayer. I shared this before, but for her entire life, my grandmother was resistant to the things of God. She wanted nothing to do with God. She was a very kind of um, old school, you know, it's the polite, probably we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, we find people have their thoughts, but we just don't talk about those things. And when my parents met Jesus 37, 38 years ago, my mom began sharing the gospel with her own mom. And my grandma was always resistant. No, 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 no. A little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, my grandmother got a 
very, very serious diagnosis of cancer. And the Lord used that to rattle her cage enough to let her guard down and say, yeah, let's talk about Jesus. And my mom had the privilege of leading her mom to the Lord. And for the last about four or five months of my grandma's life, they would read the Bible together. They would pray together. My grandma looked at my mom and said, I could not imagine going through this without the peace that I have in Jesus. I'm ready to see him face to face and I'll see you there someday. Don't give up praying for those people in your life who God wants to save and bring into his family. And lastly, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints, I just put the word Maranatha. It's the, it's the biblical word for come soon, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but every day, every week, every month that I'm still alive on this earth, I just have a stronger and stronger desire for that trumpet to sound, for the sky to crack open, and for Jesus to establish his kingdom here on earth fully as it is in heaven. Sickness and war done away with, death put to death once and for all, and for all of us to enjoy the presence of God. And so we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus. Now, we can't force God's hand. We're not going to like pray enough to make Jesus return sooner or later, sooner than later. But when we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus, it stirs in us a longing for eternity that fuels us for however long we have to wait. I don't know how long we have to wait. The only thing I know is we're closer to the end than we've ever been before. That's the only thing I know. It's just simple math, okay? But I need that fuel. I need that eternal hope to get me through the difficulties of this present life. Amen? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There's other things we could add to the list. This is a representative list. But again, you could do a lot worse than this list right here. And so I commend this to you as the basics of your prayer. The basis of your prayer is the work of Jesus. You get to talk to God because of what Jesus did. And here's some things that will help you. And so I want to land the plane on the blessing of prayer. Go back with me one last time to verse 9. All the joy we experience, what does it say? Before our God. Because of you. We have joy because of you, but it's, it's not just, we're not just joyful because of you. We have joy before God. The Greek word there is often translated in the presence of. In the presence, all the joy that we experience in the presence of God because of you. And it made me think of the words of Psalm 1611 that says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Abundance of joy. And not just glib, happy, clappy joy. Joy in the middle of life's difficulties. Paul and Silas and Timothy in this letter, they are not uh, pulling any punches. 
There's hardships, there's difficulties, there's, there's opposition, there's persecution, there's heartache, there's longing, there's all sorts of stuff. This is not some glib, you know, shiny, uh, sort of, uh, 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 you know, every color is pastel and everything's nice and everyone's got a nice smile. This is not Stepford Wives. This is like reality. There's real hardship. And yet in the middle of that, when we enter into the presence of God through prayer, we are invited to experience a deep abiding joy that will last even in difficult circumstances. And I will just simply share with you, just as a personal note, um, we had a really nice trip and this time spent with good friends in the Harbor Network. And then when we came back on Sunday night and into Monday and Tuesday, I just personally experienced um, spiritual attack and anxiety and hardship. And there's just a lot of things, a lot of things in my life right now. And I was really struggling. And I knew that I was going to be preaching this exact thing. And I was kind of upset with God. Like, really, God? I have to practice it before I get to preach it on Sunday? And so all week long, and Aaron Lynn can attest, and multiple other friends of mine. You guys remember uh, this guy, Jamin Barker, that used to go to church here? I spent an hour on the phone with him the other day. Other people in my life, just talking with people, praying with people. When I wake up in the night with my mind racing on things like, Lord, you are my refuge. Help me, Lord. I don't even know what to pray. And I had to just practice it all stinking week. So I want you to know that what I'm commending to you is something that the Lord made me walk through directly this week because he loves you. And I think he loves me too, but he really loves you. I've had to fight for some joy this week in the middle of tough circumstances. J.C. Rao, I want to close with a longer quote from J.C. Rao because he says it so beautifully and so eloquently. Listen to these words that this dear brother in Christ wrote over a hundred years ago and tell me that there's not encouragement in here. He says, we live in a world where sorrow abounds. This has always been the state since sin came in. Sickness, deaths, losses, disappointments, partings, separations, ingratitude, slander, all these are common things. We cannot get through life without them. Someday or other, they find us out. And here's the kicker. The greater are our affections, the deeper are our afflictions. And the more we love, the more we have to weep. So what is the best means of cheerfulness in such a world as this? How shall we get through this valley of tears with the least pain? I know no better means than the habit of taking everything to God in prayer. (laughs) The only way to really be happy in such a world as this is to be ever casting all our cares on God. It is trying to carry their own burdens, which so often makes believers sad. I want to say that one again for my own benefit. It is trying to carry their own burdens, which so often makes believers sad. Jesus can make those happy who trust him and call him whatever be their outward condition. He can give them peace of heart in a prison, contentment in the midst of poverty, comfort in the midst of bereavements, joy on the brink of the grave. There is a mighty fullness 
in him for all his believing members. A fullness that is ready to be poured out on everyone that will ask in prayer. Oh, that people would understand that happiness does not depend on outward circumstances, but on the state of the heart. And then he concludes with this. And I say it to you as well. I want you to be happy. And I know I cannot ask you a more useful question than this. Do you pray? Now, I have some really good application points. Like the best ones I've ever written, probably. And then the Holy Spirit said, no. How about rather than telling you some cool things about how you could go pray this week, what if we just, oh, I don't know, prayed (laughs) right here and right now? So this is the part of our service where we typically go into the Lord's table, and we are in a moment, but we're going to just pause. And here's what I, I'm just going to describe to you what I'd like to invite you into. Um, in a moment, I'm going to put some prayer points up on the screen. You can pray. One of these is just kind of a prompt, or you can let the Spirit lead you into other things of prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to ask any of our pastors and any members of our prayer team to kind of stand in the various corners of the room I'm going to ask Blake to come and just kind of quietly play some music to let there be kind of a prayerful, uh, contemplative environment. And I'm going to give you the option of, if you would like to be one of those kind of bold people, you get up out of your chair and come talk with one of these prayer members if there's a need or a praise or a gratitude you want to offer. Wonderful. Or I'm going to offer you, if you would rather, just kind of gather in some small groups in your seats where you are and pray together. You can do that. Or perhaps you're just feeling led. Maybe you just want kind of a personal time with the Lord one-on-one. That's totally okay. Nobody has to do any of these one things, but I would just invite you to be willing to be stretched a little bit, okay? So Blake's going to come. I'll invite our pastors and any prayer team members to kind of in the corners here, in the back corner there. Uh, Put these prayer points up on the screen. These are just prompts. These are just prompts. You could spend some time just praying and being grateful. So gratitude. Uh, You can pray for the building up of the saints. So maybe that's repentance for yourself. Maybe it's for a certain person in your life, a a leader, a church member, somebody you just want to pray that God would build them up. You can pray for those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. Maybe pray for them by name that the Lord would save them. You can just pray, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, over and over and over again for five minutes. That's fine. We're going to take about five minutes for a time of prayer. And then I'll transition us into communion and into the Lord's table. If there's any other members of the prayer team, even if you weren't scheduled and you're willing to serve, you can come up here in the front or in the back. It's totally fine. Derek, maybe you want to do that. And again, I'm going to invite you again. You can come forward for prayer. You can gather with some brothers and sisters around you. Maybe you're one of those strange people who's like, I just, I just love people. I'm going to make a new friend right now. And we're going to pray together. All the introverts just crawled inside of their own skin right now when they heard that. Sorry. Or you can sit quietly on your own and pray. But let's pray, okay? So I'm going to invite us into a time and a posture of prayer. And then I'm going to invite, we're going to, just about five minutes, we're just going to sit and pray, okay? So let's, let's enter into God's presence right now. Lord, would you make us aware of your presence here with us?
Lord, first and foremost, we want to thank you and praise you that you've made it possible through the work of Jesus for us to pray to you. And Lord, if there is anyone here right now who has not yet received the gift of salvation, I pray today that they would cry out to you in prayer. Save me, Lord God. Forgive me of my sins. And they would enter into that presence where there's fullness of joy. Lord, if there's anything here we need to be grateful for, would you fill our hearts with praise and gratitude? Lord, maybe some of us have been entitled or forgetful, and we just need to give you praise. Lord, if there's anything here we need to repent of, would you help us to repent of that now? Whatever you want to direct our hearts to in prayer for these next few minutes, would you lead us and guide us? In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, church, let's pray. Let's gather in some groups. Somebody's going to be bold, come forward and receive prayer from one of these leaders. I'll join, I'll, I'll bring us back up here in a few minutes and we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. Let's pray together.